Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at Fulton Four Football. As always, for this week three preview episode, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by John Paulson. Paulson, in Chicago for Sam and I, it is the final day officially of summer. How is everything going for you over there? Yeah, well, in Southern California, summer just kind of extends year-round. So it's yeah. actually, we're getting out of our bad weather, heat wave, you know, 100-degree weather and getting into the the milder stuff in the, the fall and winter. So I can relate, I think. We, we still don't feel sorry for you. Of course, we is Sam Hoppin, none other than he who already has his Hoppins to conclusions for week three on the site. Sam, how's everything going? It's good. I didn't realize that the end of summer is going to coincide with the weather pretty well. I mean, it's 85 degrees out today, and tomorrow it's supposed to be a high of like 60. So uh, some pretty appropriate timing there. I believe it's referred to as the autumnal equinox. Equinox? I think that's what it's officially called. Uh, I just call it hoodie weather, and I will stick with that as I forced it already on today's show. But we have a lot to get to, gentlemen, as we preview week three, look back at week two, try to get some buy low, sell high opportunities for everyone. And I would like to start with what happened in the Jets offense for Garrett Wilson, who, if you read the waiver wire column on 4-4, if he's available in your league, he was the top pickup, in my opinion, on the week after we saw his routes increase on 56% of Joe Flacco's dropbacks in week one to 75% in week two. And that includes a game in week two that he left for a few plays at a, on a possession. So we think there's meat on the bone since he really didn't even take away from Corey Davis. He took away from Braxton Berrios. Paulson, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Garrett Wilson for this week, week three against the Bengals, but also how you see this fairing weekly between Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. Because as I wrote in the column, I still struggle to think both of them get there weekly. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, this Jets passing attack is not prolific. Uh, Joe, Flacco, Joe Flacco's been throwing a lot of passes, so that's good. At least the volume has been there. Um, I've got uh, Wilson ranked 37 this week. Uh, Elijah Moore is right around there, 35. Uh, Corey Davis, uh, 52. And I think you kind of nailed it uh, off the top there with Braxton Berrios. He only ran 11 routes last week. And he was a guy I was worried about heading into the season. Uh, really good in the slot, and they used him quite a bit last year. And he was—I thought maybe he'd be a thorn in the side of uh, of all three of these guys, really. But if they get to a point where they're just running three re- receiver sets with more Wilson and Davis, then that's probably their uh, most talented lineup. And I don't know that all three can continue to produce. Uh, I mean, more really hasn't been very good so far in terms of touchdowns or yardage. Davis has uh, been surprisingly good, and Wilson obviously had the huge. Uh, week two. So it's it's just sort of one of these situations where if you have to trust in Moore's talent uh, and eventually that he'll get there, but it's getting to the point where I'm kind of, you know, hoping that Zach Wilson comes back because we need a quarterback change because it doesn't seem like Joe Flacco and Elijah Moore are on the same page too often right now. Your thoughts on this situation long-term, Sam, because what we're also seeing quietly behind the scenes is that it's not just Moore and Wilson competing with one another. Tyler Conklin is sitting right here in CGO Zomo's absence with at least seven targets in two consecutive games. Most recently, a, a 20% target share in week two. So how do you see these receivers faring rest of season? I do think I'd probably rank Wilson the highest of the three rest of season. He's, you know, he's getting the work. Like you mentioned, his route 
run percentages is increasing. He got all three of the Jets end zone targets this past week, which helped him score the two touchdowns that he had. And I do think you want to make a bet on Elijah Moore over, excuse me, over Corey Davis at this point, uh, Elijah Moore running a route on almost 91% of dropbacks, Corey Davis down to 71 and a half percent. So he's on the field again. He's, he's getting the usage. He's just not getting targeted as much. I think when Zach Wilson comes back and, and he has that chemistry with more that he starts to supplant Corey Davis. But I think all three of these guys, including Tyler Conklin, will continue to be involved. We just kind of hope that they continue to pass the ball as much. And I definitely like starting both of them, whether it be as a wide receiver three, as they are in Paulson's rankings, or flex in this juicy matchup against the Bengals offense that is also throwing on 73% of their plays on early downs right now to open the season. I also want to talk about James Conner's injury, Paulson, moving forward, because we know per NFL Network's Ian Rappaport that this injury, the ankle sprain he suffered, is not considered long-term or serious. And what we saw in week two in the second half, whenever he left injured, was Darrell Williams quietly out carry Eno Benjamin, 8-5, and more importantly, handle both of the team's running back touches inside the 10-yard line. Did that narrative tell you that we should pick up Darrell Williams, or do you think that was because they were coming from behind, and otherwise it would be Eno Benjamin who would be featured if Connor misses week three? Well, I think heading into the season that if Connor were to miss time, it wouldn't be like uh, an Eno Benjamin featured back situation. I think he's just kind of the number two guy there, but we saw what happened. Uh, Daryl Williams came in. They basically split time and Daryl was better running the ball. And he's also a pretty good uh, pass catcher as well. Got the goal line or got the touchdown. Uh, I did see today that uh, James Conner was at practice. I saw a report of that. So that uh, looks like he's practicing. So he might be able to play this week. So it may not be as big of a deal heading in. So you might want to adjust your bids. Um, I do have Conner in one league, and we're talking about picking up uh, Williams as kind of a backup plan. Um, but it doesn't look like it's a, it's a must, must do this week if, if he's already out there on Wednesday. It might have been just a, a minor uh, ankle sprain. And I also ranked in the waiver wire column, Sam, Daryl over Eno because Williams also quietly outsnapped Eno Benjamin 11 to 2 on third and fourth down. I think that's a pretty significant margin in that second half. Your thoughts on the Cardinals running back? Which one are you looking to stash moving forward? I think it is the mentor, Daryl Williams, right now. He also played on 74% of the team's red zone snaps in week two which is is huge if he's getting that goal line work we know that the cardinals have not been shy about giving james connor for sure that short area workload when you know which helped him a ton last year score a ton of touchdowns so that combined with what you mentioned the work on third and fourth down i think would lead me to williams over benjamin but i still do think that both of them are worth a stash at this point all right, Paulson, we got the rug pulled out on us many times in week two, but in particular for the Dolphins' backfield, since in week one, 
We were buying low on Chase Edmonds after he handled 67% of the team's running back carries. In week two, when they came out, not only did Raheem Mostert get the start, he also handled 69% of the team's running back carries over Edmonds and out-touched Edmonds 14-6. to What are you doing with this backfield in week three? How do you rank them in a tough matchup against the Bills? Yeah, this is a weird deal because, uh, you know, he wasn't, Edmonds wasn't bad in week one. I guess he had a low EPA per play. Maybe Sam could speak to that. I don't, I don't, I don't follow that real closely, but his uh, EPA per run were, was pretty low, apparently. I saw that somewhere on Twitter. Um, so it looks like they shifted over to most. I could see this going back and forth all year. I mean, I don't think that the Dolphins are going to give up on Edmonds after giving him the money that they gave him in free agency. Maybe they're trying to send a message or maybe they're just trying. Mostert out in the starting role and, and Edmonds in more of a complimentary role, but he did play 51% of the snaps and he was on the field uh, ripped, ripping off a 28-yard run on the final drive for the Dolphins to set up the game-winning touchdown. So they trusted him in that situation. Um, it, it just would surprise me that Mostert continues to run you know, more routes or catch more passes than chase Edmonds when it's definitely Edmonds game um, as a pass catching back. So um, this is disappointing. Sure. From a, you know, being an advocate for chase Edmonds heading into the season, I'm not ready to press the panic button on him. I, I might bench him instead of uh, starting him, but I don't think I'm ready to cut him at, in any leagues, but maybe there's an 18 league or something out there or, or a league with really short benches where you might, might want to move on because you can only have starting running backs on your, on your roster. But um, I think right now I'm just kind of you know waiting and seeing uh, how this how this sort of plays out because Edmonds did prove last season that he was really good in his own uh, running scheme. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I think he can uh, get it going here pretty soon. Also, Mostert is fairly injury prone, so if there's any sort of you know, he gets dinged at all, uh, then Edmonds will be in a, in line for a lot of touches. I think you're forced to speak on EPA per run now, Sam. I think that's what we requested. I mean, they were both pretty inefficient in oh, they, they've both been pretty inefficient rushers over uh the past two games neither of them have an epa per rush over zero not that that's common for really any running back both of them have a negative rushing yards over expected expected per carry as well so they're they're not you know the the dolphins running scheme is not nearly as efficient as the 49ers which is where mike mcdaniel is coming from and I think Chase Edmonds is where I would lean right now and rest of season with the Dolphins being so pass heavy and like Paulson mentioning, most are likely not taking a a bunch of work out of Edmonds' passing game role. I think that's where I lean going forward. He's had um, a routes run percentage of 58 and 48 the past two weeks. It was 48 for Mostert this week up from 36% this past week, but Edmund still very clearly seems like the favorite guy, especially on, on third down as well. And an NFL next gen stats is rushing yards over expectation. Only Derek Henry is performing worse right now in terms of what he's supposed to be getting and what he is not getting behind chase Edmonds. I also want to stick with the Dolphins offense because The question of the week, Paulson, is what to do with Tua in week three against the Bills. On waiver wires, where he was available, it's a tough sell because you can argue rest of season, sure, that's what we're buying into. But for week three in particular, 
it's probably the worst possible time to now play the Bills, especially because you were bidding on waiver wires at his peak as well, following a six touchdown performance. So how do you how do you see Tua performing this week? Where do you have him ranked? And I want to discuss some of the other quarterbacks in his range because I know people have questions about Tua or Carson Wentz, Tua or Derek Carr, Tua over Jared Goff, et cetera. Yeah, uh, it's a tough week to rank him because he's coming off the six-touchdown game against the the Ravens, who are very friendly to to passers. Uh, the The Bills have so far yielded the second fewest uh, passing yards. They've got the defense has intercepted five passes and given up one touchdown. So, I mean, the only scenario where you can maybe see it paying off is they get into a shootout and. The, the Dolphins or the Bills just can't deal with the Dolphins' speed at receiver and and Mike McDaniel's Mr. Genius and he schemes Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle into positions where they can make things happen. Uh, the question is, can they protect Tua? I think uh, we saw what the pressure did to Ryan Tannehill on Monday night. So I've got him at 14, but I don't feel. But it's it's a weird week for quarterbacks where there's just not a lot of uh, interesting plays below that. Uh, you know, Jared Goff at 15. He doesn't really run the ball, but he's got a decent matchup against the, uh, the the Vikings, even though the Vikings did play well against Aaron Rodgers in the Dome. Uh, Ryan Tannehill against Vegas. We've, we've seen Tannehill struggle so far this year, but Vegas is a, a sort of a get-right situation for him. Marcus Mariota, Justin Fields. So these are the players that are below Tua, and I think that's reasonable. Uh, above, above him, Aaron Rodgers against Tampa, uh, Russell Wilson against the 49ers. So you can kind of see what you're dealing with this this week at quarterback is that you don't have a whole lot of great options outside that top those top 12 or 13 players. Any thoughts on to a rest of season, Sam? Because what we're seeing so far is at least there is an overarching change of approach from the Dolphins offense. Last year, Tua completed 50% of his passes. 10 to 19 yards within the line of scrimmage, that intermediate level of the field where Mike McDaniel's schemes shine in crossing routes. This year, Tua has completed nearly 70% of those passes. Also last year, Tua only went deep, 20 yards deep, on 7.5% of his throws. This year, he's at 12.5%. And in week two in particular, the Dolphins called the highest pass play rate on early downs in neutral game script. So there is a reason to believe this offense is much more aggressive. But again, the hangup is week three, against a Bills defense that has allowed the third fewest receiving yards through two games to opposing wideouts. I I do like to a more rest of season now than I did in the in the draft process because again I mentioned the high pass rate over expectation that the Dolphins currently had, you know, you mentioned to his accuracy improving, he's also had also has a 4.6% completion percentage over expectation which is huge. I think with respect to this week, I would be comfortable but not confident in starting Tua. The the plus for him is he has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And yes, the Bills faced a Rams team with Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson, but the Titans certainly did not have the same caliber of wide receiver talent that the Dolphins do. And we've seen in the, the first couple of weeks of the season already, he just needs to get the ball in their hands and they can make the moves after the play to give Tua a decent game passing. So I I would tend to lean starting him over someone like Aaron Rodgers, who Paulson mentioned, even Tom Brady as well. 
just again, because of the potential game environment and the shootout potential that it has over some of these other games. Paulson, another situation that we saw yet again, the rug pulled out from under us was the Rams backfield. And as it stands right now, this has led you in week three to rank Daryl Henderson as your RB21 and Cam Akers, who outtouched Daryl Henderson surprisingly in week two, as your RB30. What are we doing with these running backs moving forward? Yeah, this was a bit surprising given the, you know, how both players played in week one and how they treated Daryl Henderson. Uh, you know, and you look at their their play in, in week two and Henderson did outsnap Akers 56% to 44%. Uh, he didn't see a target, whereas Cam Akers saw three. And he really out, Henderson really outran Akers. He averaged 4.7 yards per carry while Akers got, you know, 44 yards on 15 carries. So he's still struggling at that sub 3.0 yards per carry that he's been, we've seen since he came back from his Achilles. Um this doesn't scream to me that Akers is retaking the job, although, you know, 17 touches to Henderson's 10 uh, is a little bit uh, surprising and maybe a little confusing given what happened in week one and the production of each player. I mean, Henderson still scored the touchdown, outscored Akers in PPR formats, uh, obviously standard formats. So I think we're looking at, I, th I think when they drafted Akers, they decided that they wanted him to be their bell cow and they're trying to make it happen, but they're not, uh, going to do it in the face of losing or, you know, the lack of production that he has displayed over the last uh, several games that he's been back since it, since the Achilles injury. Henderson has been better, um, but they don't seem fully committed to giving him a bell cow workload either. Uh, so I think it's one of these things where it might flip-flop back and forth based on uh, how the player looks in practice uh, and then who gets a hot hand in the game. But, they you know, they stuck with Akers in this one, even though he, he really didn't run all that well. And there were reports, Sam, on Sunday morning that the Rams maybe won't be going away from Cam Akers after all. They seem to really want it to happen. And what we know now through two games at least is that Daryl Henderson has still ran 59 routes to Cam Akers' 18 total as the pass-catching option at least that they envision him as. Your thoughts on this Rams backfield short-term and rest of season? Yeah, and I I mean, it's a mess. It's, it's what we don't really want to deal with for the Rams. I think it's good that it's really just those two right now. Uh, we'll see what happens when Kylan Hill comes back, um, if he's even part of the conversation. But I, I do still tend to lean Henderson. He has been a slightly more efficient rusher. Again, if we're, if we're looking at uh, EPA per play now on this show, uh, he's got an EPA per rush of 0 0.15 compared to negative 0.234 Cam Akers. He's also getting almost two yards per carry before contact more than Akers, which is shocking. And that offensive line has, has its troubles for sure. But the fact that he's getting that much more yards before contact, I think is, is huge and short, sort of shows where they're at as rushers right now. So I would still lean Henderson for sure, but Cam Akers is becoming slightly more intriguing as a potential flex option, I think. Another issue in the rankings everyone is struggling with Paulson is basically trying to 
pull the parachute cord on Darnell Mooney. And my only concern with that this week after the Bears have somehow totaled only 28 pass attempts through two games is that you now get a Texans defense that has allowed the fourth most receiving yards to opposing wideouts. I personally want to go back to Mooney. I don't know if I want to, but I personally will go back to Mooney on my teams one more time as a wide receiver, three or flex. Your thoughts, are you bailing already or are you going back once more? No, I think this is a, a bounce back spot for him. I, I can't believe this lack of production thus far. I mean, I guess week one, he gets a pass because of the monsoon and you know he's more of a intermediate to deep ball guy and it was tough conditions there in Chicago. Uh, maybe you could uh, tell yourself a story about the Packers secondary in, in week two, kind of having that offense locked down after that uh, first drive or whatever they scored on. So um, I, you look at the, the Texans, uh, they're giving up 270 yards uh, passing, seventh most. You mentioned the numbers to wideouts. I, I can't see Mooney continuing to produce this at any level for the rest of the season due to uh, the lack of pass attempts from, from Justin Fields. I think he attempted 11 passes against the Packers. I mean, this is not sustainable uh, for an NFL offense. Uh, so things have to turn around soon. And the, the, I think the surprising thing about this for me is that Mooney and Fields were pretty productive last year uh, in their time together. And for them to look, or for this passing attack to look this bad uh, at the start of uh this season is, is is alarming, but I am I'm still holding Mooney, and I think I would start him in certain situations uh, due to the matchup and due to the fact that he should be far and away the most targeted player on this team. It seems like uh, St. Brown has gotten off to a better start than than he has, but uh, Mooney I think saw 140 something targets last year and needs to be uh, his usage needs to bounce back quickly. And Justin Fields, Sam, is second to Jalen Hurts in carries among all quarterbacks in the league so far. But again, because he's only thrown 28 times total, he's totaled less than 200 passing yards through two games. What are you doing with Justin Fields moving forward? I don't know how you can hold on to him in redraft leagues right now unless it's a two-quarterback league. I mean, there are so many better options. I'd be more confident rolling out Tua, who we talked about, earlier than fields at this point i mean the rushing is potentially there but this offense just looks about as bad as we would expect i mean they have a a play success rate at about 40 percent, which is just abysmal near if not at the bottom of the league right now so i think until you know the rushing is nice but it's always nice when it complements the passing as well. You know, we see Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson passing at a much higher clip than 11 times per game. And that's able to open up some of the rushing as well. So I, I'm not holding on to fields right now until I, I see something more with him in that offense. Everyone in leagues that had Leonard Fournette at the third, fourth round, wherever you got him at, has a chance. They are asking, do I ride this out or do I now sell him high after he's out-touched Rashad White 49-10 to 10 through two games? Paulson, and in particular, handled 93% of the team's running back carries. In week two, as this offense has shifted, maybe due to wide receiver injuries, maybe this is their identity since they have offensive line injuries coming into the year, but either way, they've attempted 30 pass attempts through two contests. What do you think about Leonard Fournette for the rest of the season? 
Well, I would I would hold. I mean, I think his workload is is such that the, the touchdowns are gonna come. This is a offense that is probably playing about as bad as it can given the receiver injuries that they have. Um, if they get Godwin back and obviously Mike Evans is suspended this week, I mean, this week might be a little bit tough against the Packers, but they might just ride him because, uh, they just don't have a whole lot of weapons on the, in the, in the passing game. Uh, but he's got 21 carries in week one, 24 in week two, two catches in each game. We know he's a big pass catcher. He's playing a ton of snaps, uh, and things lighten up here a little bit. I mean, week four, he's got KC, Atlanta and then Pittsburgh, Carolina, uh, weeks five through seven. So I think, um, you know, the touchdowns will probably come. He did apologize to fantasy managers, fantasy fans that he hasn't found the end zone yet. So that's usually a good sign that uh, he's going to get a touchdown fairly soon. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, though, I think that this is an offense that's going to score more touchdowns than what they have, and he's going to be a part of that. And Sam, Rashad White, obsolete from the offense right now, but we also know he's a very clear player to hold since he is the only one getting any amount of touches behind Leonard Fournette as a contingency player. But right now, given Fournette's usage, what are you doing with him? You know, it's interesting you mentioned him as a sell high. I think he's a buy low, to be honest. No, he interesting. Okay. Certainly has not performed up to expectation. I mean, especially given what the offense is going through. They've had so many wide receiver injuries. Like you mentioned, you would expect him to get more work in that absence, I think. And... He has, he's underperformed his expected fantasy points workload, which I think is huge. Again, you mentioned Rashad White is pretty much nothing except for a handcuff right now. And Fournette is getting over 80% of the team snaps right now, which is just tremendous. He's not really coming off of the field at all, except for rest, it seems like. So I think better days are ahead for Fournette. There are the injury concerns that have been, you know, sort of surrounding him his whole career, but that doesn't seem to be an issue right now. And if, he, if he's the only one left standing as an offensive weapon that Tom Brady trusts, then I think, you know, he's got a, an outstanding ceiling for the next couple of games, especially against some of the player, or excuse me, the teams that Paulson mentioned, they play the Packers this week that who, the, the Bears, who I just maligned for their terrible offense, just ran all over. So I think if the 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 Bucks do go that route, then Fournette is a buy, in my opinion. Rashad Bateman has also popped on the list because he has yet to be a full-time player through two games. But he still continues getting their Paulson weekly, including this past game. What are your thoughts on Rashad Bateman moving forward for this Ravens offense that is actually succeeding through the air, but the third highest pass play rate from neutral game script. And maybe that's because they've faced the second most eight man boxes right now in the entire league. Yeah. It seems like they're uh, going pass heavy uh, because they just can't run the ball with their running backs. So basically it's a, it's a two pronged attack of Lamar Jackson running. Who's he's doing fine. But, uh, and then, and then there's, staying away from Drake right now. I think they're probably, and whoever else is in the backfield there, they're just nominal touches for Mike Davis and Justice Hill. I think they're trying to wait for, for Dobbins to get back to get it going. Um, and then in the meantime, they're throwing the ball a ton. Uh, and it's really, you know, it was Devin Duvernay in the, in the first week with a couple touchdowns. But, you know, really we expect this uh, passing attack to go through Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman 
Uh, Bateman only with 12 targets. You, you mentioned that he was not a full-time player. So I pulled up his game log and in and, and your, and your right, he's playing 66% of the snaps, 61% of the snaps, uh, but he's getting it done uh, even on this low volume. And I think that was the concern heading in was that if they did get back to their run heavy ways that uh, we might not be able to support both Andrews and Bateman as fantasy starters, but uh, thus far the efficiency here. And then obviously Lamar's playing well. Uh, and then also the enhanced volume, I think as a whole is helping Although 12 targets, you know, just this seems unsustainable with 167 yards, two touchdowns on 12 targets. Uh, so that that's a little worrisome. I think he's a very good player, um, but I'd like to see him 70, 80 percent snaps and, uh, you know, seeing eight, seven, eight, nine targets per game. And I think it's because they may be wary knowing what he dealt with in getting re-injured last year in a 17-game season that he's starting from week one, maybe taking it slow with him. There were also reports behind the scenes that J.K. Dobbins possibly suffered a setback in his knee ahead of this past game, which is why John Harbaugh now dances around the questions and is very ominous with J.K. Dobbins' usage and whether he'll appear at the next couple of games. So that's something to monitor. But right now, Sam, it seems like Rashad Bateman is still a player we want on our team. He is, in fact, the Ravens wide receiver one, which is what we expected. He's got the highest target share among the receivers, the most route runs, but he's only running a route on 72% of dropbacks, has an absurd 16 yards after catch per reception. He's had two very long touchdowns in both weeks so far this season, has a 3.55 yards per route run, I think. I just think that all comes crashing down to earth at some point when the efficiency doesn't doesn't meet the workload like Paulson mentioned is you know maybe even when JK Dobbins come back comes back that passing rate dips down just a little bit which could take you know maybe one or two targets away from Bateman and then we're looking at a five target per game player which is is not what you want to be relying on as as a flex option, I think. Well, maybe as a flex option, but but certainly not a, a reliable wide receiver. So if if you have the opportunity to sell high on on Bateman, I think now is the time to capitalize. All right, Paulson. It's on you to tell everyone what to do with Kyle Pitts moving forward after he basically opened up the offense as a decoy with an 11.5% target share in week two, while Drake London emerged with a 46% target share. How are we treating Kyle Pitts both this week against Seattle and rest of season as everyone panics? I I think he's a buy. I don't think this is going to continue like this. Uh, and, or, you know, I see people like, oh, should I cut him? I know these are weird leagues where somebody might cut uh, Kyle Pitts, but um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Sam's great uh, NFL player stat explorer and uh, Pitts is right there at uh, six in uh, yards, air yards per game. So uh, the intent down the field has been there with a 24.4% air yard share. Uh, you know, you'd like to see more than 10 targets for a player of his caliber, but I don't think uh, Arthur Smith is going to I mean, he's getting questioned about this now pretty consistently after games, and he's getting all, you know, his feathers ruffled about not trying to play fantasy football, but trying to win games. And I think he's got to realize that Pitts is 
you know, the best or the second best pass catcher that he's got and needs to utilize him more than what he's been utilizing him. So I think, uh, you know, you know, as a third round pick, obviously been disappointing, but um, I think you continue to continue to, you know, run him out there unless you have a much better option at tight end, which you probably don't. And if I remember correctly, this week's matchup is pretty, pretty favorable um, against Seattle, right? So uh, it's it, they're, they usually struggle against a tight end. So this might be a breakout game for him. Three performances with at least 10 fantasy points in 19 career games so far for Kyle Pitts, Sam. What are your thoughts on the Pitts gate happening in fantasy for everyone right now? I mean, when you put it that way, it does not sound great. I did not realize it was quite that bad. I mean, there was the the quote from Arthur Smith circulating over the past couple of days about this not being fantasy football. And I, I just don't know how you go out and spend the fourth overall pick on a guy who you're not going to force feed targets. They're doing that with Drake London this year and London has been fantastic, but there's no reason for guys like Parker Hesse and Anthony Ferkser and, Brian Edwards to be getting targets when you have Kyle Pitts, who is a, by all account, a generational talent. And so I, I hope, you know, and we can't assume logical coaching, which is definitely not what's happening in Atlanta right now, but there has to be a point in which the talent beats out the opportunity, or I guess the talent matches the opportunity, I should say. And I, I'm buying, you know, I agree with everything that Paulson said. I think it's, it is two games, but he's looked so good, you know, especially dating back to the preseason as well, that, you know, it sucks. I think there are a lot of probably upset pitch managers as well who are like, you know, I spent a second round or a third round pick on him. He hasn't done anything for me. I just, you know, I need to go a different direction. So now is potentially the lowest cost that he's going to have to, to be acquired. Some also have questions about Marcus Mariota streaming potential and Paulson does have him ranked for reference as the QB 17 and week three. And as I wrote in the waiver column though, just fine for this week, but note that the Falcons in four of their next five games over the next month play Cleveland, Tampa Bay, 49ers and the Panthers. Uh, I would imagine Marcus Mariota is benched, especially if this team does not win because they have to scapegoat somebody, and I don't think Arthur Smith will get fired two years into a rebuild overall. Moving on to some notable usage trends, maybe helping out people's start-sit situation, Sam. What happened with the Colts running backs in week two? Because what we saw was five touches for four yards for Jonathan Taylor in the first half, and ultimately just 10 touches in a game that... Maybe we should have expected coming, given that the Colts played 90 plays in week one of in 70 minutes of football and then had to travel cross-country for a early East Coast kickoff. But overall, what's happening right now with the Colts' backfield? Yeah, so Sal pulled up a chart here that we've got on stream on the X-axis. It has high-value touches per game, and then on the Y-axis has the percent of high-value touches of a, of a running back's touches and for those who don't know, high value touches is any carry inside the opponent's 10 yard line and then any reception as well. So you see Naeem Hines here jumping off of the chart. He's averaging five and a half high value touches per game. 
it's making up a, a large portion of his workload. But Josh Norris pointed out yesterday that Naeem Hines had three targets on the Colts opening drive. And then he ended up with 15 total offensive snaps in the game. And this is a game in which they were trailing pretty much the entire time. And you would have thought that he would get more involved. The coaching staff has, has taught Hines up all off season. And I looked at it and Hines is just nowhere to be found. You know, he's only playing on about 30% of the team snaps. Jonathan Taylor is playing on more third downs uh, on twice as many third down snaps as Hines is and Hines isn't getting any red zone work as well. So, you know, Paulson, I, I'm interested to hear where you're at with him. I don't, you know, I've gotten a couple questions on should I drop Hines or not. I don't think you're there yet, but I I don't know if you can feel confident starting him this week, even though they are playing the Chiefs in a in a game script that likely is to repeat what happened last week as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, heading in, Hines was one of my targets, 12th, 13th round. I thought that he had a combination of a you know, weekly role, uh, especially with that receiving role where he's, you know, getting two to four catches per game. Uh, and then also really a good chance at RB1, RB2 numbers if anything were to happen to Jonathan Taylor. I think Hines is a talented running back. And we saw, I think it was a couple seasons ago that they did ride him when uh, Taylor was out um, or when he had, I don't know if it was Taylor, but he, yeah, he had his, uh, he had a, RB1 touches in that game. I think it was against Houston, if I remember correctly. But this is like, I'm looking at the snap counts and the pass routes from the game against Jacksonville. And, and in a game where they didn't have Michael Pittman, they didn't have Alec Pierce. Um, Hines, like, he ran like 14 routes, uh, less than Desmond Patton, Moelle Cox, Kylan Granson, Taylor. Uh, obviously, Ashland, Ashton Doolin had a good game. Michael Strachan. Stray Can, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Paris Campbell. Um, and this is a player that we know is a very effective receiver. So this seems to me like, like what's going on here? They talked him up, and I and I do believe preseason buzz, uh, summer buzz, when there's multiple reports of the same thing over and over again, which is like, you know, Hines is being used, running more routes, he's being used as a receiver. And in the situation where you have, you're down your top two, in theory, receivers, obviously Pittman is, Pierce, maybe not a top two receiver for them, but you're down to those two guys. I would have expected 30, 25, 30 routes for Naeem Hines and he, it didn't get there. So I don't know if, if the, you know, I think Frank Reich's a good offensive mind. I don't know why they wouldn't pivot and, you know, feature him as a receiver. They did in the first drive and then they just totally get away from it. So what to do with Naeem Hines? I think he's, you know, he's kind of slipping in value now because of what happened this week. Um, you know, if he comes out and has six catches for 70 yards as, you know, kind of a hybrid running back receiver, then you feel pretty good about it. But uh, what happened was not that. And I think I look at him now as kind of a glorified handcuff. You might be able to get a decent spot start out of him if you have to start him. Um, he's one of those guys that can get you five for 50 if the, if the game script uh, goes his way or goes against the Colts. And to me, it seems like that might happen more and off, you know, more often than not with these, with these Colts, they're not going to be quite as good as we thought they were, but this was a game where they were trailing the entire time and he doesn't get that sort of usage. And it's a little bit alarming. I would, I'm in a, you know, 12 team leaguer, pretty decent sized benches. I'm still holding him. Cause I do think he has uh spike value. If anything happens to Taylor. 
I think week one kind of alluded to a takeover too, given that Jonathan Taylor got 35 touches in a game. They were down 20 to three in the second half. Like that's pretty telling of, Oh, like we actually want Taylor in on this situation more than Hines moving forward. But like you, yeah, I don't mind stashing Hines. Also, as I wrote in the waiver wire column, anywhere I have Paris Campbell uh, I, and Alec Pierce, I'm just dropping both in favor of Ashton Doolin since Doolin yeah. has been the better since Doolin has just been the better player. Led the team in target share without Michael Pittman in week two. And now through two games, a 32% target per route run rate. So it's it's very possible he earns more routes and opportunity over Alec Pierce as the team's number two wide receiver and Campbell moving forward. Uh, we also want to talk about, Sam, the Eagles running backs because what we're seeing happening right now is still a three-headed timeshare, but at least we're seeing Miles Sanders involved for at least 15 touches in both games. And most recently in week two, 71% of the team's backfield touches. So what is happening with this timeshare in Philadelphia? So it's a bit of a 1-2-A-2-B two two situation. Miles Sanders is clearly the one he's gotten 15 carries per game. The other two have just 15 carries combined over the first two weeks. Sanders has been extremely efficient as well, has a 4.04 rushing yards over expectation per carry, which is phenomenal, one of the highest in the league. But he's not playing on third down. That's pretty much the Kenneth Gainwell role right now. And he only has five targets as well. The other part of it is that you obviously have Jalen Hurts rushing the ball a ton as well. So even though he has 30 total carries, that's only 42% of the team's total carries because some of those are, you know, going to Hertz and then and Scott and Gainwell. So if you if you add up Scott and Gainwell's uh, usage, you essentially get a one A one B situation as well. And I think this could be a, a potential opportunity where you sell high on Miles Sanders. You're still going to start him if you have him. Neither of Scott or Gainwell are startable at this point, but He is someone who I think has exceeded expectations from a production standpoint, but he's, he's, he is still splitting work and both Gainwell and Scott have been involved near the goal line as well to the point where it's taking touches away from Sanders. Your thoughts on the Eagles backfield rest of season Paulson. Yeah, this is i I'm actually kind of excited for Miles Sanders because he's getting the sort of uh, usage that maybe his talent would justify, uh, you know, through two weeks, 30, 30 carries, five catches, um, you know, you're getting into that 17 and a half touches and he could make some hay in that. Like, I think the concern with him, and this is a great offensive line too. the Eagles have a really good offensive line. So if this offense is going to be a juggernaut and they're going to score 35 points a game, then he's going to end up finding the end zone. Uh, he's not a guy you can count on even in 2018, 20, touches to find the end zone due to the, the things that were mentioned there about Jalen Hurts really being the goal line back. They also like to hand the ball to Gainwell and Scott sometimes uh, inside the goal line. So that, that's going to frustrate Miles Sanders owners, but I think I'm expecting a high yards per carry. I'm expecting 80, 90 yards rushing, uh, especially in favorable matchups, maybe even more and a little bit of a role as a pass catcher. Cause he is capable, you know, Sam mentioned he only had five targets, but Gainwell's only seen six. Uh, so it's not like he is on third downs. Uh, Gainwell's coming on third downs, but it's not like a huge disparity. They are trying to throw the ball to Sanders about as much as 
as Gainwell. So and that's an area of the game where he can succeed as well. So he's definitely somebody who has uh, risen in the rest of season rankings due to you know just how good this offense looks and how good he looks. And then we know that the offensive line is great. We It looks like they're going to score a lot of points, and you definitely want running backs in those offenses. And it does seem like he's well ahead of Gainwell and Scott. I think we were concerned heading in that this might be a 40, you know, 30-30 type split or something like that with between the three of them. But it's, you know, he's playing 53% of the snaps uh, and has seen uh, 35 of the 54 touches. So that's a pretty good workload for Sanders. Alan Lazard returned on Sunday night. What we saw was him pop into the team's receiver wide receiver one role immediately with around on 90% of Aaron Rodgers' dropbacks, only a 12% target share, got there with the end zone target. But nonetheless, everyone else basically plummeted in route participation except for Sammy Watkins, who stayed the same with a route on 65% of Aaron Rodgers' dropbacks as the team's second receiver. What do you see among this group of wideouts moving forward, Sam? I think Alan Lazard is the only one who really you can start and it's probably worth holding on your roster at this point. The chart we have up now is try to look at target concentration for the top three options in each offense. So you see the Packers at the very bottom, their top three uh, players in target share combined for a target share of just over 40%. I mean, there are some players who have a, a target share almost at 40%. On their own, their past two, or excuse me, their top two targeted players are both running backs, and then it's Romeo Dubs, excuse me, Dobbs, I think. Um, now Lazard only got three targets in the game, but he ran a route on almost 90% of dropbacks, and he's one that has the most chemistry with Rodgers right now and, and has all season. And, and so, I think again, you want to see that offense take maybe a little bit of a step forward because we haven't really seen that yet but right now this this offense is so unconcentrated that you know you've got I think I'm looking at it eight players with between two and eight targets over the first uh two games and that doesn't even include the running backs as well so there I, I just think this offense is probably going to run through the running backs like we've talked about uh, a couple times in the past, and Lazard will end up being the wide receiver one from a usage standpoint. And it's just hard for the volume to be there for so many players, Paulson, because of what this offense is doing. Uh, 24th in pass play rate for neutral game script, the fifth slowest pace in one score games as well. And so we just don't have much plays to go around for any of them. Yeah, and this is an offense that's been slow. Like Rodgers loves to take every second off of the play clock. I think he's getting as much information as possible and feels like he has the advantage if he is the last one to take a look at the defense uh, as he snaps. So they've gotten by in recent years because the offense has been so efficient, you know, supporting Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, uh, Aaron Rodgers as fantasy stars. And now we have a situation where Devontae's gone and it's this receiving core as sam mentioned i think is lazard it will be you definitely don't want to cut him he's going to be startable here soon i think and you could even argue last week he was startable um but playing on that many snaps with rogers as somebody who trusts him he's going to have some good games and then after that it's just 
you know, Sammy Watkins has really been the consistent, uh, you know, person in terms of snaps. Uh, he had a pretty good game uh, against the Bears. If he's healthy, I kind of look at him as the number two option. I don't know how long he'll stay healthy, uh, but Rogers seems to like him. And then Cobb, he obviously loves from all those years together. But Cobb is sort of a catch and fall down guy at this point. Um, but just looking at the you know the targets from from week two of this receiving court, uh, Dobbs had three where they threw him a couple of screens. Uh, he's actually good down the field, so I don't know why they're not using him more down the field. But Sammy Watkins had four, Watson, Christian Watson had three, Cobb had three, and Lazard had three. So as we were getting ready for the season, I kind of thought that this would might be a, a group that would average. We might have four guys or five guys with 400 to 600 or 400 to 800 yards receiving uh, with no clear number one other than maybe Lazard who had a chance to go over a thousand if things kind of broke his way. I don't know that that's going to happen. We saw Lazard with just, you know, 12 yards receiving whatever in, in, in week two. Uh, I don't know that he's going to see the volume necessary to break a thousand yards, but he's the one guy that I think might at this point because Dobbs, Watkins, Watson, and Cobb are all just rotating and they're all playing 50 to 70% of the snaps. So until people emerge and are playing 80, 90, 90% of the snaps alongside Lazard, they're not going to be trustworthy in fantasy situations. I think a lot of people are faced with starting the quarterbacks potentially in this game. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, a contest that opened at 48 and a half points in Vegas and has already sunk to 41 given the volume that both teams have shown so far. So how would you rank Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Tua knowing that that is a situation that a lot of people are actually asking themselves right now? Uh, assuming you're asking me, uh, I yes. would say I would say Brady, like I have to think about this Brady situation with no Mike Evans. It also, I have to keep an eye on Julio. If Julio's out, then I might move Brady below uh, Rogers, I'm not sure, but right now I have it: Brady, Wilson, Rogers, and then Tua. Uh, Tua is intriguing, but it's not like he's got a good matchup. Like this could really turn into an ugly game for for Miami as well, given uh, you know at least the games at home. Uh, but given the way this Buffalo defense is playing uh, so far, it's pretty much lights out, and I wouldn't feel confident with any quarterback against them. Uh, I do think that this Green Bay Tampa game with a the total so low that it's kind of a sneaky, I don't know if it's a sneaky shootout, but it's a sneaky game that could go 45, 48 points and be okay in terms of fantasy production. Um, we'll have to see. The Tampa defense has been great. Green Bay defense was terrible against the Vikings and then a lot better against a very bad Chicago offense. So we just don't know if the, if the Green Bay defense is gelling to the point where it was playing last year. Um, so it might there might be some more points in this game than the 41 that uh, the total's at right now. Sam, we questioned if Devontae Adams' target share, 45.9% in week one, would carry over season long, but also in week two. And what we got was a 17.9% target share instead, with Hunter Renfro popping up and leading the team as the Cardinals continue struggling against slot receivers for a team-high 10 targets and 25.6% target share. So what did you see, if anything, from this Raiders pass-catching group that Devontae Adams basically got there because only of his one-yard touchdown catch. I mean, you can see on the, the chart here, they are the second most concentrated offense, uh, excuse me, passing attack right now. Matt Collins isn't showing up on here, but he clearly seems like he's the third wide receiver 
in that offense. So maybe worth a, a deep, deep stash. And what makes this offense so attractive is not only the concentration, but they're they're throwing the ball at a decent clip as well, have a positive pass rate over expectation. And I think, you know, that, that high target share that you mentioned for Adams in week one, I, I was certainly not expecting that to, to hold over into week two or the rest of the season. They obviously want to feature him as much as possible, which is great. But Renfro and Waller are still solid pieces of this off offense. And Waller, I think, still probably a top five tight end rest of season. Renfro likely worth a some flex consideration as well, depending on their opponent and especially in PPR league. So I think it's really just those three guys and then nobody else. Again, Holland's worth a deep, deep look. But it, it's this is a, a great offense for fantasy to see it's so concentrated among their top three guys. And Josh Jacobs, Paulson, at least for this one game we saw without Brandon Bolden, did handle 19 of 20 running back carries. They basically only leaned on him in every single situation. So I would think that he's a good touch-based. He may not get there. He didn't get there this past game uh, because he's still Josh Jacobs, but he's a good touch-based RB2 if Bolden is out again in week three. Yeah, and a side note on Devontae, I, I can't say that I'm unhappy to see him getting frustrated with the accuracy of Derek Carr's passes. Uh, didn't, he didn't really make that face too often uh, in Green Bay. But back to your point about Josh, Josh Jacobs, I started him in uh, DFS, a few DFS lineups last week, and just watching them, you know, he I, I figured the touches would be there, and they were. Just watching them inside the five, they're, they're not looking to run the ball very much down by the goal line. They're trying to pass it in either to Waller or to Adams, maybe to Renfro. Uh, so I think that hurts him. Like I just don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to see many goal line carries. But with Bolden out, he did have a sort of an expanded role as a receiver. Uh, Amir Abdullah, I think, caught one pass. Uh, he actually looks really quick, by the way, uh, Amir Abdullah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to use him as that James White type player uh, because he's just got more juice uh, than Jacobs, but Jacobs is a three down back. He can be, we've seen that. Um, but like I said, we're just not sure about that. All these touches on a per game basis when everybody's healthy, if they're going to continue to treat him as the bell cow and then, you know, goal line, it just doesn't seem like any, any of the backs are going to get too many goal line touches. Okay, Sam, explain to everyone the hellscape that is the giants receivers room, because what we got was David Sills leading the team in routes run in week two, Sterling Shepard stepping in and being second on the team and commanding a team-high 27% target share. Richie James working as their third receiver, even though Saquon Barkley is still running a route on 74% of this team's dropbacks. And then Kadarius Toney did have his usage increased, ran a route on 37% of dropbacks, but also suffered a hamstring injury endgame and was a DMP at the time of this recording on Wednesday. What are we doing with the receiver's room moving forward? I mean, I, I was hoping you you would tell me because it's, you know, I, I like I would like to give Dable the benefit of the doubt with how he's using these players, but Kadarius Tony and you didn't I don't even think you mentioned Wandale Robinson have just not been involved whatsoever, and it you know it could be injury related. Even Kenny Galladay is seemingly in this doghouse that is is full of Giants wide receivers. So we have Shepard, James, and Sills as the top three most targeted players 
from from a target share perspective, uh, not including Saquon, obviously. And I think I, I think you have to drop everyone except Sterling Shepard, who should be added as a waiver wire option. I I don't trust Richie James and David Sills to continue to not only be involved but be effective as well. And maybe that's a a, a bias thing that I just need to get rid of because the usage is there. But I mean, it, it's it's a very concentrated offense based on what you're seeing above. But Saquon is definitely a big part of this offense as well. You know, the, the Giants are off to a 2-0 start. I do not believe in that. I don't believe that Daniel Jones is going to be good enough to support six different receivers. Uh, and so I think it's, you know, if someone is wants to hold on to Tony, I don't blame them because I do think the talent's there. But I also would not blame you if you needed to drop him to pick someone else up. And I misspoke, Paulson. It was a 29.4% target share for Sterling Shepard, team high in week two. And as Sam alluded to, yes, Wondell Robinson's still injured. We don't have an update on him. And Kenny Galladay, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he's healthy scratched in week three. They only played him two snaps this past game. And once the game was over, he reportedly immediately emptied out his locker and just left before media could even reach him. So I'm guessing that, as I wrote in the waiver column, they lean on Sterling Shepard, even though... My personal stance, that's why I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, is that I still wouldn't drop Tony for Shepard right now. I don't blame anyone if they do. I just genuinely don't have the courage or heart to drop Tony just yet, even if it means missing out on Shepard. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, Tony's not a player that I was targeting in in draft, so I don't have him to drop. But I did... (laughs) I did uh, pick up Sterling Shepard in a couple of leagues. I think he has the greatest combination of talent plus faith from this coaching staff based on his playing time uh, and uh, targets. And he did get the t- long touchdown in that first game, or it was a long catch. I know he got a touchdown in that game. Uh, so, yeah, looking at the rest of this, it's just it's 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 kind of mind boggling the amount of money that they gave Kenny Galladay. He went from seventy seven percent snaps in week one down to 3% snaps. Nobody can really question that. He just hasn't been there from a production standpoint since he's joined the, joined the giants. And then the thing I want to know is if he cleaned out his locker, did he like clean it out? Like he left the team or did he just like, Oh, I'm, I'm gone for the day and not going to talk to press kind of a situation. So, you know, they can't trade him. Uh, his contract is untenable. So they'd have to cut him if they're, if they're trying to do so, you know, trying to get rid of him. Uh, force him out of the uh, out of the team. So um, I think Tony has talent. He did uh, increase his uh, snaps from twelve percent to thirty eight percent in week two. And he's you know after Shepard, he'd probably be the one that I'm most likely to to roster if he gets dropped, which he might. Um, but maybe he has a chance to emerge as a number two option here as as time goes on because he does have you know you're looking at David Sills. Uh, yeah, I think he had three catches and ninety two percent of the snaps. Richie James is this. Seems to be like a five for 50 guy. Probably isn't going to catch a touchdown for you, but can get you 10 points in PPR formats and a spot start right now. Uh, but I don't know how safe his snaps are because he went from 70% to 42% in week two uh, as uh, Sills uh, peaked from, or you know increased from 45% to 92%. So that all said, I think Shepard you know, should be rostered in 12 teams. He's, I, I, I'm not running out to start him, but he's definitely a good bench piece. 
and uh, maybe Tony uh, as, you know, sort of a stash, but you just want to see him start to get his snaps up to 50, 60%. And they have to create a role for him. He's not like this great route runner that's going to get open. They have to get the ball in his hands and let him create after the catch. And uh, that takes some, you know, takes some creativity on the part of the offense uh, there uh, for the Giants. Shepard, your wide receiver 47 in the week three ranking. Sam, I want to end on this. You have the responsibility of ranking the Giants receivers rest of season between Kadarius Tony, Wondell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, and Kenny Galladay. I, I I have to put Sterling Shepard first right now. Like like Boston mentioned, he's got a combination of chemistry and, and the usage right now. I'll put I'm gonna put Galladay last because again, it, it seems like they are just not on good terms between Tony and Wandale. I think I lean Tony if he's healthy, but it's it's pretty close between those two. Paulson, what else do you have coming out for the people at 44.com for week three? Uh, just doing the podcast on uh, Friday with uh, Anthony Sneaky Starts, working on that. Get that out today, hopefully, uh, and just st- stay on top of rankings. And for the record, I would rank the uh, Giants rest of season, I think, the same way. I would go Shepard, Tony, uh, Robinson, and then Galladay. And I just realized that Galladay wasn't even in my top 95. Doesn't need to be. Uh, <laughs> released. I, I, I just feel like, you know, this is a former top five fantasy guy that if he could find another – a more friendly environment, but man, it's been bad since he signed him to that big contract. Let's wait until he's on the Falcons running behind Drake London next week. Sam, what do you have coming out of the site? Like you mentioned, Hopkins conclusions already out this morning. Fortunately uh, for all my fellow data nerds did not have as many data issues this week. So I was able to, to push that forward, have a buy low, sell high article coming out tomorrow and then just a bunch more charts on the Twitter timeline. The waiver wire column also updated for anyone running waivers on Wednesday night or that second run on Saturday night in high stakes leagues includes everything from Garrett Wilson for shallow leagues to Marlon Mack and Jake Ferguson, who are actually going to be very popular pickups in 10 man benches. We will be back together for another recap and preview show next Wednesday at 1 PM Eastern live till then. Be a little bit kinder than what's required. See you then.